forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's red and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning a winning inside fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hey, listeners, it's me, Ben Blacker, and you're listening to the commentary track for Hexwive number six, the final episode, episode, the final issue of this story arc and of this comic book for now. Yeah, sadly, uh, we got the news not too long ago that uh, the book is done for the time being, um, which is a bummer. You know, I also I can talk about that for a minute before we get into the book itself. Um, I've talked a lot uh, on this podcast. You've heard past episodes from me. I hope um, I've talked on the Writers Panel podcast, the flagship podcast, about um, what making this book means to me, how important it was to me, um, a story that I was compelled to tell for many reasons. Um, personal, political, artistic, um, and to have it sort of cut off at the knees at issue six at the, you know, this is a complete storyline, but certainly I had a lot more stories to tell in this world, um, is very disappointing. Here's the good news, I guess. Um, numbers were really good. We're not being canceled because the book didn't sell. The book sold really well. In fact, of all of the new Vertigo line, it was the best-selling book. Um, we hovered around 10,000 copies for each issue after the first one. The first one had about 20,000. Um, these are really good numbers for a non-superhero book. And in doing this book, I've sort of had to get acquainted with the business of comic books. And it's terrible. It's a nightmare. It's an industry that is not catching up to the present. Um, I was talking with another comic book writer um, who has spent the majority of his career in the music industry. And he made the apt analogy that comics right now feels in many ways like the music industry in the early 2000s when everyone was stealing mp3s and the record labels were being bought up by corporate entities that only cared about profits and still wanted people to go to sam goody to buy 20 dollars cds a, a format that was becoming obsolete um and he says that you know the artists at the time the musicians the songwriters were sort of lobbying and begging the business for new ways to adapt. But the industry collapsed under its own stubbornness. Um, and as he said, corporate short-sightedness. And, you know, it took it's taken 20 years for the music industry to rebound in any meaningful way. And and it had to they had to be adaptive. They had to figure out how to make money from streaming. They had to figure out artists had to figure out that live shows are where the money is. Um Putting your song in a TV show, in a movie, you know, getting it on a soundtrack is where the money is. It's not in sales anymore. Um, but it was a slow, slow curve and it broke the music industry for a long time. And that feels like where 
comics is. Um, and I'm talking primarily about Marvel and DC. Um, they are sort of backed, they've backed themselves into this corner where the top 150 books in any given month are what you expect. They're the superhero books, you know, they're name brands. Uh, if they're, they are primarily Marvel and DC books and they are primarily Batman, Superman, you know, title, uh, popular titles, um, that, you see in the movies that you see on TV. Um, you also get The Walking Dead, you, you know, this sort of outlier in this. The Walking Dead, of course, bolstered by the TV show. The outlier in this is Saga, which somehow broke through at the right time and has been able to maintain a steady readership over 50 issues now. Um, and it's it's a high quality book. I mean, it's no surprise. It also has you know Brian K. Vaughn, who is a marquee name, who helped, I'm sure, those first ten issues get sold. After those top 150 books, that's where you start to get the titles like ours. Um, you know, we were between 150 and 200 for each of the I've seen of the five issues that have been out until now, and, and I'm sure issue six will be in that range as well, which is about 10,000 copies. You know, the number one book sells about 200,000 copies, 300,000 copies. That's that's Batman. Um, that's Justice League. Uh, and these are good books. Like, you know, if you follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, you know that I love these books. I read the Spider-Man books. I read... Uh, I love Tom King's Batman. Um, these are high quality books, but there's no room in that top 150 for something like Hexwives, for something like Goddess Mode, for something like any of the Vertigo books, for any new image book uh, that doesn't have a marquee name attached to it, for any, especially, you know, the these smaller independent publishers, Dark Horse and IDW, which are still big. Uh, Boom is the number three publisher in all of comics, but even their books rarely break that top 150. Um, I think Lumberjanes was sort of the last one that made a big lasting splash in those higher sale numbers. Um, so what do we do to change it? Um, when I came on when I when I first started talking about this book with Mark Doyle at Vertigo uh, and with Jamie Rich, who was at Vertigo at the time and has since moved over to the bat office. Um, Mark was really responsive to doing things in a different way. Um, and I, I believe I genuinely believe that he wants to and wanted to, you know, we talked about how do we do? How do we double ship? Right? I never keep up with a book so much as I do when I'm getting it twice a month. Um, it's part of what I love about Batman right now is the story never slips out of my mind. Also, it's a fantastic book. Um, or how do we do, can we do digital first and then put out a collection because collections, especially in a book like this, a highly serialized book like this, like Hexwives, a collection is where people are going to discover it. Um, ultimately, and and Mark and I haven't really talked about this very much. Ultimately, I think, you know, he ran into, he works for a corporation. Uh, working for Marvel and DC, I've come to understand through doing this book and, and 
this wasn't really my experience before because I was only doing uh, short-term projects, uh, and they were sort of more big corporate projects like Deadpool. Um, working for Marvel and DC is like working for a network. It's like working for a TV network. It's like having a show on ABC or CBS or NBC or Fox. Um, there's only so much you can do to move that machine to get yourself noticed in the very crowded field of a lot of high quality books. Um, I do think that we have more high quality books now than we did 10 years ago. Um, there's so much good stuff and it's because there's so many new voices in the past five, 10 years. Um, so many emerging voices telling new and different stories that we're spoiled for material. It's a similar problem to what a TV show being launched faces right now, right? How do you compete with Netflix? Even if you are on ABC, Netflix gets bigger numbers than a lot of ABC shows, especially new shows. Um, you know, look to any show that you love that got canceled. And you know that's true. Um, so, you know, we, we're working in this sort of antiquated model, and there certainly are ways to change it, but these companies are enormous barges, and it takes a long, long time to turn that thing around. I had hoped that we could turn it around within these six months of doing this book. Um, it was in December of 2017 that we first started talking about it, and we were so far ahead that I actually haven't even had to work on the book since last summer. Um, Mirka had a good long start, and we had I had scripts done by I, I want to say July or August last year, um, and since then it's just been you know giving notes on her sketches that would come in or on you know doing dialogue passes later on, um, usually cutting a lot of dialogue that was always the request uh, from Molly the editor. Um, anyway, so so that's the thing. The numbers were good. The numbers have been good, so thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, the reviews have also been good. Uh, what I was told when I talked to Molly about um, not being picked up for six more episodes, six more issues, um, is that this part of what marketing really loved about this book is it was really easy to find quotes uh, to 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 talk about because you know the comics reviewing websites were really kind to us. Um, they seemed to understand what, certainly what I was going for with the pace of the book and the slow unfolding and the sort of steeped in horror of say Rosemary's baby, uh, or something like that. Um, or the Stepford wives for that matter. Um, and they seem to have a lot of patience for it, uh, which, which was really flattering and and I was really thankful for that. So to everyone who reviewed the book, thanks. Uh to everyone who reviewed uh the book and and or anyone who read the book and and recommended it to friends, um I really I really appreciate all of that. Um the way this worked was uh we knew we had 6. We thought we had 12, uh but it turned out we had to submit storylines for the second arc. Um, I did do that. I did that back in, I want to say November or something like that, October, November. 
Um, and then I guess they have a big end of the year meeting and they decide which books are going to go forward and which they're going to cut. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about which other books are cut, but enjoy your Vertigo books while you have them. Uh, it seems like it was a, a good experiment. I, I genuinely think all of those books are really good. Um, Rob Sheridan's um, High Level is still out there. Uh, is still, I think he only has three or four issues, maybe three issues out at this point. Um, oh, no, issue two just came out last week. So that'll have at least six, um, hopefully more. It's a really good book. Uh, Zoe will see through her six uh, issues on Goddess Mode. I hope you guys will keep reading it. Um, I think Brian Hill's American Carnage was only meant to be a six-issue series, so good thinking, Brian. <laughs> I wish I had done that. I don't. I had a lot more stories that I wanted to tell in with this book. Uh, the name of the next arc, by the way, was Bottle Episode. Um, it was all about the bottle that we hinted at throughout this first uh, arc, and clearly it belonged to Jeannie. We were going to find out what her deal was. Uh, it was sort of my take on... It was going to be just a couple of issues long, and it was going to be my take on uh, the Steven Spielberg movie Duel. She was going to be chasing the witches through a uh, desert. Uh, and then the um, arc after that was... I was very proud of this title. It was called Well, Actually. Oh, no, it wasn't. That was the joke of it. The title was Trolls 2, T-O-O. Um... And it was about a cult, a real sort of hippy-dippy cult out in the desert um, that we thought live in caves. They seem to be good guys who live in caves. They leave the the witches who they had captured alone, um, or so we thought. But they don't live in caves. They live in a well, actually. You know the kind of guy they were. Anyway, those are just two. I, I pitched uh, four upcoming story arcs. Those were two of them that I was really excited to write that Maybe I will. Here's the other thing I've been told. Um, if the collection, if the trade sells well, then maybe we get to do more. Uh, and to me, this feels like a book that people pick up in trade. You know, I, I understand that the pacing was not for everyone. I was very happy with how it came out. Um, it really is exactly as I intended. It's hard to balance that issue by issue storytelling with the bigger story, especially as we were in this arc, all in one location. Um, and I think it will read really well as a trade because you will, that slow burn won't be quite as slow, which was another reason I wanted to do two a month. Um, so if the trade sells well, uh, there could be more of this book in our future. Uh, I would love that. I, I really love working with this team, with, um, with Mirka, with Marissa, with Josh, uh, who lettered it. So that's one thing. Uh, if the trade sells well, hopefully we get to do more. So please do pick up the trade. Do recommend it to friends. If it's something that you know you haven't been wanting to recommend because the whole story wasn't out there, well, the trade will have all six. Uh, I don't have a date for it yet. I suspect it'll be sometime this summer. The other thing we were told, which kind of gets back to the problems with this industry, um, was that if they make a TV show, then the comic will come back. <laughs> Which seems insane to me. This is the tail wagging the dog. Um, we are living in a golden age of TV and movies based on comic book IP. It only makes sense to me. You know, there's only going to be one Superman going at any given time. There's only going to be one 
Well, there may be two of the flashes going at any given time, but you know, you're never going to get the superhero IP is limited. Um, it only makes sense to me that if you are DC, if you are Marvel, to do what Image is doing, to do what Boom is doing, to do um, what IDW is starting to do, what Dark Horse definitely is starting to do, um, and that's create new IP that you don't necessarily have an ownership stake in, but can't be made without you. Part of the deal for Hexwives is that DC uh, and Warner Brothers, Warner owns DC, uh, has an option on the book for a certain number of years, and I'm I was happy to do that. Um, you know, because because I was getting to do a book with Vertigo, that was cool. Um, it was a higher profile thing. You know, I was getting other things out of it. It's a higher profile thing than I had done in comics before. Um, but if you're going to make that deal, make it a book that someone wants to make into a movie uh, or into a TV show. You know, and to do that, you need to create fans. And to create fans, you need to keep the thing around. Um, I genuinely believe that people are hesitant to jump onto a title if because they think it's just going to go away. It's a thing I saw uh, all over Twitter in regards to not just all these Vertigo books, but really any new book. People expect it to go for six issues and then go away. Um, and I think people, while they like that complete story, they also want to get attached to characters. You know, this is something I found in, in doing the Thrilling Adventure Hour. People want to get attached to those characters. They want to get invested in those characters. And if they're only going to get that for six months, sometimes it's not worth it for them. Uh, there's one company I spoke to last year who are guaranteeing 18 issues because 18 issues invests a reader. And I genuinely think that's true. Um, I think that's a good model. I think it's a good place to start. You know, you know, your book, a creator knows his book isn't going to be taken away from him or her um, halfway through the run or a quarter of the way through the run. Um, the company knows that they're going to be publishing X number of books in this cycle. And a reader knows that they're going to get one, two, three, four complete stories in those 18 issues. So they can invest in that book. They can invest in those characters. This is a company, by the way, that is doing a lot of selling to TV and film. Um, they have the right idea. Maybe I'll bring them something else. Um, anyway, that's, that's all to say. For all of that, making the book has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I could not have been happier with the process. Uh, you know, it's the business stuff is always difficult. Look, I write television. Um, I write movies. I know how I know how this stuff can go down. Acker and I sold a movie last year that took nine months for the deal to close. And then the company decided they didn't want to make that kind of movie anymore. So now they're giving us money not to write it. <laughs> Which I will say, if people want to give me money not to write stuff, I will do that all the time. I have so many things, so many projects I don't want to write. That if you want to pay me not to write them, I'm in. But like this is this is the business, right? Like these things happen. It totally makes sense. Uh, what we talk about a lot on the writers panel is you so much is out of your control. 
that you can just do the best in the thing that you do and enjoy the thing that you do. And I could not have enjoyed making Hex Wives any more than I did. Um, the team is phenomenal. Uh, if we don't make more Hex Wives, I'd love to find more stuff to do with Mirka and Marissa. Uh, they, they're incredible artists, uh, both of them. I mean, you look at look at this issue alone, look at issue six and what Mirka brings to it, the humanity of these characters, but the visual storytelling of, you know, just these first couple pages is incredible. And what Marissa has done, um, in these first six pages, four pages, even what she's done with colors just blows my mind. Um, we talked with her in issue for issue two, I think on this podcast about, you know, what her theory was, what her philosophy of coloring this book is. And here you get to see her really let loose and, you know, where purple and pink and red are the color of the witches, uh, busting out of the control. Green has always been the color of control. And you see on page four, or I guess it's page, yeah, page four, after the sort of big opening, which I'll talk about in a second, it becomes very green again, where it becomes about um, the architects and how they're trying to control the women, even still, even as things are falling apart. All right, I'm going to fly through some of the stuff on this issue, but I want to start by talking about the cover, which we we're so lucky to get Jenny Friesen back. Uh, she did the variant cover for issue one. The image she did, did on this cover is one I've been pitching from the very beginning, and I don't think she ever heard my pitch. I think this came from her, because it seems like such an obvious choice. Um, and in fact, it's so obvious. I think one of the covers for the Sabrina book that comes out today also uses this image. <laughs> Um, but ours is much bloodier and much grosser, and I love what Jenny did with it. Uh, it's the Bewitched uh, logo, and but done up in sort of a gory and gross fashion. Um, you know, it's for grown-ups. It's about the danger and the violence that's uh, included in this book, and she just absolutely killed it. Uh, I love what Jenny did here. Hopefully, I get to work with her again in the future because her stuff has knocked me out. So we pick up this issue exactly where we left off issue five uh, with the witch mother coming out of her secret room um, and just going to town on the architects, uh, protecting her, what she calls her daughters, in the best way that she can. In the second panel, I have her mention her sisters. There's a whole mythology here about the witch mother and her two sisters, the witch mother, who I think I only came to in this issue, but I, I sort of was able to retroactively fit it into previous issues, is known as the wolf mother. Uh, there was also a bear mother and a bird mother. We would have gotten to see them in, a, in issue seven, which, by the way, I wrote issue seven. <laughs> um, I wrote it because I needed a break when I was writing these scripts. Uh, between issues five and six. And so I wrote issue seven because it was a one-off story. It was the secret origin of Demina, the teenage witch. Um, and it opens where you, and you get to meet the three sisters, uh, the witch mother, the bird mother, or the, the wolf mother, the bird mother, and the bear mother, uh, each of which was based on another um, uh, myth mythic witch. Um the wolf mother, of course, is sort of based on uh, the Hansel and Gretel 
witch, uh, the one that we see here, and which is why she turns into a wolf. It's all very German. Um, I, we use, again, this idea that they are stronger together. Um, it gets very violent. Um, I originally imagined this as her turning into a actual, like, quadrupedal wolf. Is that the word? Probably. Um, and I really love how Mirka wound up illustrating it, which which is that she's this sort of wolf man, wolf man, wolf woman creature. Um, and I will just call your attention to these last three panels on page three, in which the wolf mother has expended all of her energy and is sort of disappearing. What I was going for there, and I think the, the photo reference I gave in the script was um, Stripe at the end of Gremlins, uh, when the sunlight hits him after he's gotten wet, and then he flops on the floor and just sort of dissolves into a disgusting blob. Um, it is one of my favorite... Gremlins is one of my favorite movies, and that is one of my favorite things in that movie, because I saw it when I was a kid, and I was like, it is so gross and so neat. Uh, and I, to this day, don't know how they do it. Movie magic. Um, we pick up then... Um, with Aaron still trying to control the situation, but also we get to see um, more of him and how he really is only looking for out for himself here. Um, you know, he runs up, he grabs the genie bottle, he runs upstairs, he kind of leaves the other guys to their own devices. And it was important to me throughout the whole book that while in issue one, they are first presented as this monolith, you know, they're all sort of, the architects are all these white men trying to control these women, um, that their individual personalities did come out later on. Um, and you can see that, I think, you know, just to skip ahead a little bit on page eight, when Nadia's sarcastically saying, does anyone else feel betrayed by this? And Eric raises his hand. <laughs> that to me was a very funny thing because he's kind of a doofus. It doesn't make him not a bad guy. He's still a bad guy. Uh, he's part of this cabal. But, you know, each of these guys has an individual personality, just as each of the women has a personality, just as anyone we meet in these comics. And frankly, anything that I write or that Ben and I write together, every character should be a strong enough character to be spun off into his or her own story. Um, on Back to page five, um, here we do get the plant for what would become the series had it continued. Um, and that is Aaron saying that it, there aren't just the seven of you. There are a hundred of other, there are a hundred other witches. Um, and we did, we changed the dialogue to there are hundreds, but initially it was going to be there are a hundred other. Um, and, and the rest of the series would have found our coven traveling around and freeing others, uh, freeing other covens, um, getting entangled in the various politics of what it is to be a hundred witches, because again, they're not a monolith either. They each want different things. Um, and so we would have been able to meet other covens, meet other witches, meet other architects as we go through. Um, we get to see on page six, some of Becky using her powers. And um, we also talk about, um, you know, Becky, Becky's marriage, like these sham marriages that these women were trapped in, um, meant different things to different people. And her husband, Ryan, 
kind of really liked being married to Becky, but um, she calls him out on it and says, you didn't love being married to me. You fetishized me. You know, you liked being married to a black woman. And part of that, too, was he liked being married to a witch. And that is something we would have explored later. But, um, you know, it, it's to me, it was a way to ask the reader to think about why you like the things you like. Uh, think about. Yeah, that's good. All right. Anyway, then she gets to set him on fire. And <laughs> on page seven, um, I really love the way that Mirka drew Ryan on fire, crashing through the window and then disappearing into the darkness. Um, and then even as that's going on, August sitting up and looking around. August, by the way, who was uh, I said this on Twitter. He was introduced in the last uh, issue is based on my friend Mark Evan Jackson, uh, who, you know, from The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, but who did the Thrilling Adventure Hour with us for 10 plus years now. He plays Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars. If we get to make this into a TV show, then Mark will play August. Um, and again, it, a part of it was because he's the whitest guy I know. And the other part of it is he is such a strong voice, and it's a voice, again, I've written for almost 15 years now, um, so it's a voice that I can write very easily and that I really enjoy writing. Um, all right, so we're moving on. Uh, page eight, I, I mentioned that Eric uh, raising his hand is very funny to me, and then, um, again, calling out some of the relationship stuff, you know, um, Nadia telling Eric that, you know, you, you acted like you love me and maybe you thought you did, but what you were doing was inf uh, infantilizing. You were treating me like a child. Um, and again, you know, it's this sort of these nuances in relationships that I think the, the insidious ways that men control women was always baked into this book. Um, and it's, stuff I want to talk about because it's stuff that men often do without realizing that they're doing it. Uh, so getting to call that out uh, was important to me. Page nine. Okay, coming into page nine, um, this was originally born out of a screw up in my scripting because I wrote issue five and then I wrote issue seven and then I wrote issue six. I forgot that I had established June's powers. <laughs> Uh, as having that that shadow figure, which um, Mirka drew so cool in issue five. So originally June's power was going to be to see the future. And so now we've sort of and, and this was already drawn by the time we realized it. So I had to rework some dialogue um, to cover that. And I really like what we did. So basically, she it's a trance coming over her. And then pages 10 and 11 are swiped directly from Paper Girls. Um, I loved how Brian K. Vaughn in that book had one of his characters, I think it, within the first couple issues, it might have even been the first issue, um, see the future of the characters and sort of set up a bunch of images that you would later visit throughout the series. Um, and that was the idea here, is to sort of plant stuff that you would see later on throughout the series. Uh, like you can see at the top of page 10, the truck, that's Jeannie's truck. There's a reason it's purple um, that we would have seen in the next arc. After that, um, 
the fourth panel down where that is Nadia saying we don't float. She would be thrown into a well. Uh, you get Nadia and uh, Izzy kissing, which hopefully, you know, reminds you of the first seven pages of issue one, but it's certainly showing that we're going to get back to that relationship later on. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff on these that's sort of planting stuff for the future, a future that will never come. Um, <laughs> Then the reveal of uh, Bradley, who was not injured at all, which the reader already knew. But here, um, Mabel finds out about it. And Mabel, again, like she's such a basket case. Uh, I really loved writing her. Um, and the reveal of Mabel's powers that she can turn into stone. And so she protects him because Mabel, of all of our coven, this, this first arc coven, um, has the most complicated feelings about her marriage, her pretend marriage. Um, she, there was part of her that loved being taken care of by Bradley. And there was part of her that loved Bradley. Um, so I think, and Mirka again, drew this beautifully. And I love how, uh, Marissa added the shadows to this and, and just sort of the hints of green and Brown down at the bottom there, um, that you really see Mabel struggling with this relationship and how she feels to find out, all of the lies that were involved in it. Um, then <laughs> on page 15, um, I was thrilled to do this as well. Um, Damina not knowing how she should deal with, like she wants to do some violence. She wants to be as badass as Izzy and Becky, whom she really looks up to. And again, that's a, a dynamic we would have explored in the future, but she's like, what am I going to do? Sick a cat on him. And the cat, says, yeah, you should do that. So she does. And then the cat basically burrows into Bradley's stomach and comes out of his mouth. And of course, any horror fan knows that is a reference to the Tales from the Dark Side movie uh, in which a cat comes out of a dead guy's mouth. Uh, and, I, and it's just so fucking gross. I love, I love how Mirka drew it. Um, I'll just sort of speed you through. Like all of this was sort of bricklaying for future stuff finding out about the other communities. They're going to go find them. They're going to break them up. Um, seeing exactly how big this operation that the architects had was. Um, what I really loved, um, and I love the way that it it was executed too. So the, the coven is coming together by page 18, and they've left a couple of the guys down in their bunker to, uh, to rot, basically. Although... Uh, in talking with Molly, the editor, we had a great idea for a one-off issue that was just about those two guys and left in the bunker and what happens to them, which I would have loved to have done. Maybe for the TV show. Why just make the TV show? Hey, do you? Hey, are you a television showrunner with a deal at Warner Brothers? <laughs> if you are, why don't you develop this property? I'll do it with you. And so will Acker. He's a very good writer. Anyway, I love the idea of, and I call it out um, right in this page on page 19, of the witches bringing a house down on humans, which is, of course, the inverse of the way we usually think of witches. They're always getting houses dropped on them. Um, and Becky, who is the most pop culture uh, savvy of all of the witches, is like, get it? Do you get it? Which really made me laugh. Uh, and then... 
And then page 20 is sort of the panel or the page rather that the whole book has been leading up to, which is these women claiming their own identities um, and each one, what each one thinks, you know, they, their which persona is. Um, and whether it's Nadia putting on a hijab or um, Domina cutting her hair, I love that Becky is like, fuck yeah, I'm wearing a cape. Uh, cause she's going to throw herself into this. And we also were doing fun things with her hair that you would have, that I think you get to see on the next page. Um, Mabel doing absolutely nothing, changing absolutely nothing. She just puts her hoodie on. Um, and then, um, Izzy taking her pretend husband's clothes and appropriating them, changing them to something, to this incredibly badass costume that Mirka designed way early on. You know, we designed these, or she designed these witch costumes even before there was a script for issue one. Um, and I just love them. I wish we could have gotten to do more of them just to see the women in these outfits. Um, I think they're just so cool. The designs, the design for each is unique. It speaks to the character's personality. Um, it speaks to the character's individual shape. Uh, and look, uh, I, I really love how, how all of these look. And Becky really is my favorite because she's like, fuck, yeah, I'm a superhero now. Um, they come to the fire. And so we finally get to close this. And of course, that final image of them walking, you know, our main four, which is walking through the fire into their future. What will it hold? Well, turns out it holds nothing. Um. Yes, I cannot help but feel discouraged. <laughs> I'm sure I sound discouraged and, uh, you know, it's all very new, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity to make this book. I really appreciate uh, my incredible team. Uh, I really loved working with these women and Josh uh, who just brought their all to every panel, every page, every issue. Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm thankful for you. Uh, thank you. If you read this book, uh, it really means the world to me. If it resonated with you in any way, I really, that's important to me. Um, and so thank you for that. Uh, as I said, please pick up the trade. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. Uh, it's going to have that beautiful glossy paper. Um, it's going to be the complete series. Give it to a friend who hasn't read it, but who you think would write it, uh, who would like it. A lot of non-comics readers have picked up this book because it's not every comic book, right? We're telling a story that is familiar yet new. Um, and so I think it's translated to uh, a lot of non-comics readers. So give it to someone who likes to read or someone who likes witches or someone who likes horror stuff. Um, but thank you for listening to this. Thank you for reading the book. Um, hopefully we'll have more fun stuff in the future to tell you about. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to the Comic Book Commentary Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us in uh, getting more people to notice it and also uh, in getting ads so that we can continue to produce this thing. Uh, lots of more great comic book commentaries coming up in the next couple months, including Tom King. Uh, who I've been raving about on this. Uh, a lot of other great folks uh, who are doing really awesome books right now. Um, so thanks for listening. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. 
For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever.